Hello, and welcome to TNBS, the Thursday night Bible study. This study was held on December 10th, 2009. Tonight we're going to be looking at the parable of the potter's house, which is found in the 18th chapter of Jeremiah. So welcome again. This is TNBS, Volume 1, Session 19. Tonight I want us to look at a passage in Jeremiah Outside of uh, Jeremiah 33, 3, and Jeremiah 29, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, and a couple of the others, I, I don't do a whole lot of teaching on Jeremiah, but there is one parable, actually, it's in Jeremiah that I like, and I like to teach, and Rob's already turning to it. Do you know which one it is, Rob? I think I do. The potter, yes. Jeremiah 18, 18th chapter of Jeremiah, the potter in the potter's house. Uh, Jeremiah was the prophet that spent his entire life trying to get people to listen to him, uh, trying to get the kings of Judah to listen to him. I think he, was, he served as a prophet during five different kings, trying to get the people of Judah to listen to him, trying to get the priest of Judah to listen to him. And basically, nobody listened to him. Uh, his whole message was to repent because Judah was heading in the wrong direction, and they were very quickly heading toward exile, which occurred either shortly before or right after Jeremiah's tenure as prophet ended, and he keeps trying to get the people to repent with the message from God, and he's ostracized by the kings, he's ostracized by the people, he's ostracized by his friends, basically he's even at one time arrested, and then finally he's taken into captivity down to Egypt. Hasn't had a good life, as from human standards, but he was faithful, and he continued to try to get the people to listen. And we pick it up in the 18th chapter, in Jeremiah 18. We'll read down through about the first uh, 11 verses. Then the word came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I shall announce my words to you. So then I, and here he's talking in the first person. So then I went down to the potter's house, and there he was making something on the wheel. But the vessel that he was making of clay was spoiled in the hands of the potter. So he remade it into another vessel, as it pleased the potter to make. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, verse 6, Can I not, O house of Israel, deal with you as this potter does, declares the Lord? Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. At one moment I might speak concerning the nation or concerning the kingdom to uproot it, to pull down or to destroy it. If that nation against which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent or repent. Concerning the calamity I plan to bring on it. Or in another moment I might speak concerning the nation to build it up or to plant it. If it does evil in my sight by not obeying my voice, then I will think better of the good which I had promised to bless it. So now then speak to the men of Judah and against the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am fashioning calamity against you and devising a plan against you. O turn back each of you from his evil way and reform your ways and your deeds. Once again, the word of the Lord comes to Jeremiah telling him to tell the people to repent. And he uses this example of a potter. So he tells him to go down to the potter's house, and he does. And there's the potter making pottery. Amazing. So as he's making this vessel, whatever it is, the phrase that my Bible uses says that the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the hand of the potter. And I've always thought that an interesting phrase. The vessel he was making was spoiled in the hand of the potter. The Hebrew word there is shakoth or shakoth. 
S-H-A-C-H-A-T-H, however you want to pronounce it. And it is normally translated, in fact, this is the only place in the scripture where it is translated spoil. It is normally translated as an act of corruption or to go to ruin is the way it's quite often translated. And that's what has happened to this clay. Now, he, now he's specifically speaking of clay, but you have to remember that this is a parable. Obviously, what he's talking to Jeremiah about is that the Judah is the clay, and the potter is God. And so he says Judah has become spoiled, has become uh, corrupt, uh, has stiffened, or has gone to ruin, which is indeed what Judah has done. And so he says we have to be remaked into another vessel. And then he goes on with Jeremiah and, and explains the parable in the sense that Jeremiah, just as the potter could take that clay that had become spoiled or stiffened, and he could not make out of it what he originally intended to make out of it, the potter has the ability to reshape it into something else that can still be useful. Now, just as the potter can do with the clay, God is saying to Jeremiah, he says, I can do the same thing with Judah. Judah has become spoiled. They've acted corruptly. They've gone to ruin. They have stiffened. And they're heading toward destruction. He said, but I can change that. And then he gives two examples. He says, suppose that I have planned calamity toward a nation. He said, if that nation will repent and return from the evil ways, he says, then I will repent of my calamity and bless them. Or if I propose to bless a nation and they don't obey me and they start doing evil in my sight, then I will change from blessing them to providing calamity toward them. This is the example he's using. And then he goes on to say, basically, that that's what's going to happen to Judah. And he goes on and talks about the Chaldeans and Babylon, and, and which is, happens. That's exactly what happens. Several interesting points, I think. First of all, again, let's look at some more at the Hebrew there, which I thought was interesting. In verse 4, he says, But spoiled, the clay had become stiffened or had gone to ruin in the hands of the potter. So he remade it into another, and he remade it with, again, uses two Hebrew words, shub and asha, S-H-U-B and A-S-A-H. Shub, you may remember, we ran across the last time we met. We are talking about the 51st Psalm. If you remember in, the, in Psalm 51.13, if you want to turn back there, because we talked about the 51st Psalm, that's what, we taught, that's what I taught on. And there we go. Psalm 51.13 says, oh, go back up to verse 12. Restore to me the joy of thy salvation and sustain me with the willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressions thy ways and sinners will be converted to thee. And I said the Hebrew word there to convert it was shub, which means basically to turn back. And what the psalmist, what David was saying there is, Lord, restore the joy of your salvation to me. He says, then my life will be an example to help people turn back to you. This is the verb that's used here. The Lord is talking to Jeremiah when he says the potter remade his shub asha, shub to turn back, and asha is to make. So if you use it in this context of pottery, he's talking about he reshapes or remakes the pottery. But if you use it in the context of what the pottery is representing, that's the tribe of Judah, or I will postulate to even say us as being children of God, if we shub asha, if we shub, if we turn back, then he can asha, make. Okay, this is what God is saying here. Now, in the sense of clay, he remakes the clay. But then he goes on in his two examples that he gives to Jeremiah. He says, listen, if my people will turn back, look at verse um, 8. 
If that nation against which I have spoken turns from its evil, shub. If they shub, I will relent or repent or change concerning the calamity. Look down at verse 11. So then speak to the men of Judah against the inhabitants. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am fashioning calamity against you. God has already tried to warn them. Jeremiah, over and over and over and over again, he's tried to warn them. They're heading for calamity. They're heading for disaster because they have turned away from God. And so God says, Behold, I am fashioning calamity against you and devising a plan against you. O turn back, shoop, O turn back each of you from his evil way. So God basically says, Listen, Jeremiah, the people will just simply repent and turn back from their evil way. Turn back to me. Shub. He says, Then it will not be what is planned for them. That is calamity. So I thought that was an interesting phrase there. God has the ability, obviously, to do whatever He desires. But I think what he's trying, the point he's trying to get across to the people of, of Judah is, listen guys, if y'all would just shoot, if you would just turn back, turn back to me or turn away from evil. It always interested me when I read this parable that the clay became spoiled or stiffened in the hands of the potter. I started thinking about that. Now what does that say to me? What lesson can I learn from that? Basically, what I have gathered from this, whether this is what the intent of the parable was or not, I don't know. It's a good lesson that I learned from it anyway. You know, our lives, even though we are in the will of God, our lives can still become spoiled or stiffened, even while we're in the will of God, doing what He wants us to do. And I speak from personal experience. Because there have been times in my life when things were just going along just great. You know, I I felt like I was right in the midst of doing God's will and doing everything He wanted me to do. And then I got on down the path of life and suddenly realized, where's God? It's almost like I had lost God somewhere, you know? Well, God hasn't disappeared. It was just that I was no longer in His will. Because even though I was in His will... Due to my own choices or due to my own actions, I had drifted out of his will or gotten out of his will. So even though I was in his will, I could still become stiff and refuse the potter reshaping my life into what he wanted to be. It's almost like, you know, God had planned this, this, and this, and this for my life, and this and this were fine. But when it came to that third this, (laughs) I stiffened. I stiffened or spoiled myself or whatever you want to phrase it. And I think back, how have I done that in my life? Well, I don't think I've ever just flat told God no. No, I don't think I ever said, okay, God, you want me to do this? Mm, No, don't think so. Never have done that. Not at least since I (coughs) chose to try to live my life for Him. First 22 years of my life, I told Him no a lot. But that was before He was Lord of my life. He was simply Savior. Once He became Lord of my life, I don't think I have ever just absolutely flat told Him no. But there probably, not probably, there have been many occasions in my life where I felt God was asking me to do something and I didn't do it. Didn't tell Him no, you know, you can find a much better excuse than that. 
we usually come up with things like, um, you know, that just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I must be hearing wrong. You know, surely God wouldn't want me to do that. It doesn't make any sense. I mean, it makes no sense whatsoever. Not right now. Not right now. Yeah. It's not convenient. You know, or, well, okay, God, I, I agree with you. I, maybe I should do that, but, you know, now's not a good time. <laughs> it really isn't. Or, well, now, wait a minute. I've never done that before. Or even worse, get into a deacon's meeting. We've never done that before, you know. <laughs> We've never done it that way before. <laughs> you know? Why should we change now? You know? uh, those types of attitudes can just kind of sneak in, kind of, can kind of sneak in, and they start to stiffen our lives. They start to stiffen us so that we're no longer pliable or malleable towards God's will. You know, we start to resist just ever so slightly. And as that goes on and on and on in our life, we finally get to the point to where we're absolutely spoiled. We're stiffened. We've gone to ruin. All was still within God's hands. We have resisted and stiffened so much that basically He can't do anything with us anymore. Now, hopefully none of us have ever gotten to that point. I would like to think that I have never stiffened that much. But I'm going to be honest with you. I think there are probably times when God, in shaping my life, and He finds me resistant, and He keeps trying to shift me into a particular vessel and use and keeping the, I say keeping the parabolic terminology. It wouldn't be parabolic. Keeping the keeping the idea of the parable. Okay, <laughs> He keeps trying to He keeps trying to shape me into this vessel or to get me to go or do or be or whatever. And I continue to resist or to make excuses or to, you know, I've never done it this way before. Now, now, now's not a good time. Uh, I can't do that, you know. That's always a good excuse. I don't have the ability. I'm not smart enough. God, you can't possibly be asking me to do that because I can't do that. And, of course, that's exactly God's point most of the time. He's basically saying, duh, I know you can't. You know, I'm not asking you to do it. I'm asking you to let me make you do it. That type of thing. Get you to do it. Jeremiah 20. I always drew blanks at the worst possible times. You know? Jeremiah 32, 26, 27. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Jeremiah 32, 26, 27. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah saying, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too difficult for me? I love that verse. Of course, that's right near Jeremiah 33.3. You know, where it says, Call unto me, and I will answer you, and I will tell you great and mighty things which you do not know. Well, how in the world could God say that? Because of Jeremiah 32.27. I'm the Lord God of all flesh. It ain't too difficult for me. You know? But that's always a good excuse. I can't do that. That's okay. You know, God's up there saying, I know you can't. <laughs> If it's something you could do, I wouldn't necessarily have to ask you to do it. You know, you wouldn't need me. So, there have been times in my life when, when God has tried to shape me into a particular vessel, using the parabolic terminology, <laughs> and, and I've stiffened to the point to where I think God is very tempted, and I think in some people's lives, maybe there comes a time when He finally says, Fine! Okay! Go for it! And He just takes His hands away from us. And says, Go your way. It's almost like bread dough instead of clay. Kind of like bread dough. 
one of the things in, in watching Nancy make bread, it's always kind of fascinated me. She sits there and she needs that stuff and needs that stuff and needs that stuff and, and puts a flour on there and needs it. And, and of course, <laughs> I'm always amazed that she needs it until it feels right. You know, I don't know what kind of how you define that, but you you need the well, Ruth knows you need dough you need dough until it feels right, and then when you get it all ready to make the bread, when everything is set to make the bread, you put it down and leave it alone. And I'm thinking, huh? Why don't you put it in the pan to bake it? Well, you can't put it in the pan to bake it until the dough rests. It has to rest from all that kneading you've been doing on it. And I think sometimes God must just get to that point in our lives when he finally says, you know, he keeps pushing and keeps pushing and we keep struggling and straining against him and, and, and counter to what he wants and we become stiffer and sti- stiffer? Stiffer and stiffer. More stiffened. <laughs> we become more stiffened. To what he finally, I think at times he might just want to say, okay, fine, go ahead, you know? Do what you want to do. It's kind of like he just turns the wheel off and lets the clay sit there. And of course in our lives, it don't take usually too long after that point that we'll realize what has happened. And that's when we look around and say, where's God? He hasn't left us. We have left Him. And there's a lot of ways that that can happen in our lives. It can be an attitude. It could be all these excuses we've talked about. Uh, it could be a prejudice. It could be anger. It could be a um, misplaced priorities. It could be an unforgiving spirit. It could be a lot of ways. It's basically sin of some fashion that stiffens our lives. Even while we're in the hands of the potter. Even while we're in the hands of the potter. So, what's the uh, the cure for spiritual arthritis? <laughs> or possibly spiritual rigor mortis. Obviously is to recognize what has happened. To recognize how we got where we are in that point in our lives. And then after resting, (laughs) becoming pliable again. Because you see, to me, one of the great promises or one of the great ideas about God is that as he said with the potter, even if the clay becomes stiff, even if it comes to the point where it has to just be allowed to rest, when it does finally become pliable again, the potter can still make it into a worthwhile vessel. Maybe not the vessel he first intended, but he can still make it into a vessel that he can use. Or a vessel that can be filled. So, you know, when our desire is to be a bowl, and God wants us to be a cup, and we can think of 1,800 different excuses why we'll make a lousy cup, we need to remember who the potter is. We need to remember who we are. In Isaiah, Isaiah 64 just a few pages over from where we are. Isaiah 64, 8. But now, O Lord, Thou art our Father. We are the clay, and Thou our potter. And all of us are the work of Thy hand. That's where we need to get back to. We need to get back to that commitment or statement. Lord, You're the potter, we're the clay. We're not the potter. We're not the creator. 
you are. So, the clay became spoiled in the hands of the potter. But yet he could still make it into a vessel, a useful vessel. So I guess the question tonight would be, just how stiff are we? Just how pliable are we? How many excuses can we come up with not to do things that God wants? How many excuses have we come up with? Have we become shub ama in God's hands? Have we become pliable or do we allow shub ama for him to remake us into what he desires? Or are we still shakath? Stiff gone to ruin corrupted spoiled you know I think it's, it would be wise for all of us to visit the potter's house in our lives in our spiritual lives and just to see where we stand with the potter just how pliable are we can we honestly with heartfelt commitment remain completely pliable to be made into whatever vessel he desires or are we still trying to tell him how great a cup will be when he wants a bowl Father great story good illustration But you know, Holy Spirit, unless you take this story and the truth of this story, and unless we allow you to apply it to our lives, then these words of Jeremiah will be no more effective now than they were 1,500 years ago. Father, there are times in my life where I have stiffened, balked, resisted and even flat refused to do what you were leading me to do but Father I have also realized that when I come to the point of acknowledging that refusal or stiffness or balking that you as the great potter can indeed start from there and shape me into the vessel that you desire a vessel that will be perfect, perfectly created out of me, and a vessel that will be filled with blessings. Thank you, Father, for your forgiveness. Thank you for Shubama remaking us. Thank you for loving us beyond and in spite of spiritual rigor mortis. Now I pray now, Father, that throughout this week, throughout this day, throughout this season, this season of Advent, may we remember who you are, the great potter, and who we are, the clay.
and may you shape us into your vessel for your glory. For this is my prayer, in and through the name of Jesus Christ, your Son, my Savior and my Lord, and my very bestest friend. Amen and amen. Thank you for joining us tonight. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions for study, please send me an email. My address is davidlkeel at gmail.com So until next time, I pray that we all will remain pliable in the potter's hands as we try to walk and live for Christ. God bless you.